Hallelujah. When you can't count on anybody, you can count on Jesus. Somebody say amen. His faithfulness remains. He is steadfast, unmovable, unshakable, and never changing. When everything else is falling apart, when the world is falling and crumbling down around your feet, the steadfastness and faithfulness of our King should make you shout. It should give you the victory. And you should never, ever, ever doubt if you've got a reason to rejoice because King Jesus is faithful. And somebody give him a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. You may be seated in his presence this morning. I got a couple of housekeeping things I'm going to do before I get started this morning. Uh, one is I'm glad to see more of you uh, coming back out to the house of God. It is so good to see you. Uh, this, this pandemic has changed just about every aspect of our life, uh, whether it's something you're um, excited about or disgruntled about. It, it really is irrelevant because there's things forced on us, and, and most of it we don't like, but it's there, and it's part of our li life and part of our living. So uh, that, that is a situation that we are having to constantly deal with. And the reason I bring that up is because church has changed, and a lot of people have never made it back to uh, in gathering in the house, and, and uh, I want to encourage you, uh, if you have the ability to do it and, and you're not uh, physically unable to do it, I want to encourage you to think about considering it and, and here's why. And I, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds. I do have a sermon I want to share. Uh, but some things happened this past week and, and those of you that keep up with those kind of things, uh, I'm not talking about the political aspect of it, but some things happened with the president's Twitter accounts and Facebook accounts and things like that. And, and no matter what side of the aisle you're on as far as that goes, you should be concerned about the fact that they control the means of communication. Uh, because basically what the, the, what the release was, was we don't like what you say, and we think that what you say makes people do things. Well, I don't know anything that makes people do things more than preaching does. And so the fact that the door has been opened up to shut down all manners of communication, if we don't agree with what you say, that door is now open wide. And the next thing they're going to start doing is telling preachers, we don't like what you're saying. What you're saying is inciting people to be hateful and, and express hate speech. So we're going to shut down churches from being able to be online. And it's coming. I, I'm, not, I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm just a realist, and I see it. It's going to happen. It's going to, uh, the Bible tells us very plainly, if you join me on Wednesday night, I, I taught on this. It tells us very plainly that the last days are going to be perilous. And we are going to be persecuted. And, and so we're going to have to take advantage of what we have. And, and I'm, not, I'm not dealing with free speech because it's not free speech. It's their sandbox, and we play in it. And it's their property. They own that, that means of communication. So the means of communication that we own is this microphone in this building. So they can't stop me from preaching here. And, and so staying at home and watching online is great as long as it's available. But I'm just trying to tell you that it may come a point when that's not available. 
So I encourage you to maybe, uh, maybe get back into the house of worship because I don't know how much longer Facebook and YouTube and things like that are going to allow us to continue to stream because it's coming. I don't know when, I don't know how long it's going to be, but eventually, uh, the preachers like me anyway. Now, there's probably some preachers that will continue to <laughs> because what they say doesn't incite anybody to do anything. <laughs> and, and what they say doesn't make anybody upset or anybody angry or not, nothing they say anybody just, uh, gets sideways with. But preachers like me uh, that, that hold to the truth of the gospel and want to see people grow and get better and more Christ-like and less like the world... They will eventually shut us down off the airways. But they can't shut us down in here. So get on back to the house of God if you can, and let's have church. Amen. Having said that, I'm not exactly sure what the, uh, what the, the process is, but if you have been uh, knowledgeable about this, there's a database we're trying to build. I don't really know what it's about. Uh, I was told to make an announcement, but then I wasn't told what the announcement is. So the church needs your information. And if you go on to our, is it our website? The app and the website. If you go on and enter your information, don't forget your children. Because uh, what we're trying to do is we're trying to build a database so when you check in your children to nursery or to children's church, the workers can just use an iPad to check your kid in and check your kid out. So uh, please do that. Number one, we want to keep track of you. Some of you we haven't seen since we shut down in March. And we want to get back, we want to know who's still part of the, you know, we got a gang here. We're trying to get back into the gang. So we want to know who's still part of, who, who's still rolling with the gang. But uh, we, we've got a lot of things, a lot of moving parts, a lot bigger building. We're going to be doing a lot of ministry outreaches and things of that sort, trying to reach the community uh, as the pandemic starts to loosen up and people get a little more free. And we want to include you as much as possible. And the easiest way to do that. Uh, in a church this size is to reach you through the means of communication and technology. So it, it, let make sure that, that we have your information, your children's information, uh, things of that sort. Okay, having said all that, I'm going to preach this morning. So somebody say amen. I, I need to get out of that and get back into the spirit. So I'm going to end a message series this morning. Our series has been called Life Beyond Ordinary. And we've been talking about the miracles of Jesus. I told you in the beginning I wasn't going to discuss all the miracles because there's about 36 or 37 of them depending on what scholar you read. And I wasn't going to discuss them all. Uh, I wanted to highlight some that shows us a principle of how to live a life that is beyond ordinary. And this morning I'm going to preach for the 9,727th time uh, out of the Gospel of John, the 11th chapter. Uh, this is probably... The story that I have preached more than any other story since I've been preaching. And I, I don't always start here, but sometimes I, I include old brother Lazarus in another message. And, and it's hard to believe that after all this many years, I could still preach Lazarus and come up with a new sermon. But uh, I, I, God has uh, led me to preach on him this morning. And it's a sermon I've never preached before. It's something I've never really thought about before. Uh, because I'm going to talk to you this morning about living a life beyond ordinary and we're, again, we're looking at this one particular miracle. And I want to talk this morning about our core beliefs. What is the core belief of being a Christian? Now, if you join the church of God, we have core beliefs. We have a doctrinal statement. 
We believe that the Bible is uh, the whole Word of God, rightly divided, that the Old and the New Testament both uh, uh, exemplify who God is. We believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. We believe that divine healing is available for all those who are in the atonement. We believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and that He is coming back again to claim His own. We, we believe in these things. These are called doctrines. But when I ask you as a Christian, whether you go to Promise of Victory, whether you are a Christian, a a, a part of the church of God or not, there are some core beliefs that you should hold to. No matter what church you go to, no no matter what it is that you uh, ascribe yourself to, there are some beliefs that you should subscribe to. And when I ask you what your core beliefs are as a Christian, most of you will go the doctrinal route. You'll say, oh, well, I believe in the Trinity. I believe in the truthfulness of God's Word. I believe Jesus is the Son of God who died for my sins and rose again. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. I believe the Holy Spirit moves in and indwells us and empowers us and gives us uh, the ability to do ministry. When When we ask you what your core beliefs are, a lot of you will say things like, well, I repented of my sins. See, these are all doctrinal statements. You'll say something about, oh, I believe there's a place called heaven and a place called hell. Those are doctrinal statements. But beyond doctrinal statements, I want to express to you, because my ministry has shifted in the past decade. I used to be heavy into educating the saints. When I preached, I would preach on the Old Testament shadows of who Jesus Christ is. I would often bring the old Jewish traditions in and I would tie them in with, with, with the completion of who Jesus was. And I used to educate the saints. I spent a lot of time in the book of Revelation. I used to teach uh, exclusively on Daniel, Ezekiel, Revelation, and the end times. I was educating the saints. But in the last decade, my ministry has shifted. Because I realized that core beliefs were changing. People no longer needed to know the Bible stories. They needed to know how the Bible stories was going to affect their life. They didn't just need to know who Daniel was. They needed to know that if God protected Daniel, God will take care of me too. And and as people began to change, and your education and your background in church began to change, the more people we had coming to church that had never been in church before and didn't know the old stories, didn't just need to know the stories. They needed to know how the stories was going to help them through their Tuesday when the doctor said, you're going to die and not live. uh, And so as I began to understand core beliefs in a Christian, no matter what church that Christian belongs to, should never change and that core belief is this can are you ready for this believing that things shouldn't change who I am things shouldn't change my attitude things and situations should not affect what I believe but I believe and affirm this to be true Jesus is going to show up and make everything all right can I get somebody to agree with me this morning That's your core belief as a Christian. No matter what church you belong to, no matter where you go, you ought to believe Jesus is going to show up and make everything all right. When I preach about his miracles, I I don't know that you're ever going to see one of these miracles. I don't know that. I don't know I'll ever see anybody walk on water. I just don't know. I don't know if I'm ever going to see Lazarus come up out of the grave after four days. I don't know. 
But I have to believe that even if I don't see that level of a miracle, that I've got a miracle on the way for myself. Can somebody say amen? I don't believe in miracles that just happened in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. I believe that God is able today to walk into my oncologist's office with me and show up and make everything all right. I believe Jesus can go down to the bell bondsman and make everything all right. I believe Jesus can grab hold of my drug-addicted child, shake them, turn their world around, and make them okay. That's what I believe. I may never see this level of miracle, but I still believe in a miracle. See, the problem the world has is they read these miracles and they don't believe in Jesus because they say, I don't see this. Sometimes we're guilty of the same thing. You come to church every Sunday and you don't buy into him being a miracle worker because you haven't saw the dead raised lately. Well, I also haven't seen the ground as a pastor. I also haven't seen the ground open up and a bunch of rebellious church members swallowed. But I still believe in, come on, <laughs> I still believe in submission. So, so just because he doesn't do it the same way every time doesn't mean he ain't doing something. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning, that even though I believe the core foundational doctrinal truths of Christianity, my Christianity is more about how I live it. That no matter what I believe, it doesn't do me any good unless it changes me. Unless it affects not only me, but the folks around me. Makes me a better father. Makes me a better husband. It makes me, I ought to be a better Christian this January than I was last January. That's a miracle. Somebody say that's a miracle. If you don't believe it, look at your neighbor and see if they were better than last January and say, You are a miracle. <laughs> see, what, could nothing get a hold of some of us? See, some of y'all were so holy, y'all came out of the mother's womb speaking in tongues. I ain't talking to you. I'm talking to some of the real Christians in here like me that realizes what nobody grabbing me but Jesus. What nobody helping me but the Lord. I had to have him shake my life, turn me around and set me straight. Nobody else was going to preach and get me right. Jesus, I am a walking, breathing, talking miracle because of Jesus. And I don't have time to teach on all of this and the details of this. There's 43 verses. I have preached on Brother Lazarus until I thought I couldn't preach on him anymore. I don't have, there's a lot of this story that I won't reveal to you now. Go back and listen to my other 37 sermons on this book and get some of it. But this morning I want to talk to you about, at, beginning with John 11 verse 1, I want to talk to you specifically about the first eight verses and then we'll skip down a little bit. John 11 and 1, the Bible says this, a man named Lazarus had COVID. Oh, no, wait a minute, it doesn't say that. <laughs> it just said he got sick. We don't know what he got. We know it wasn't COVID. That one thing just showed up last year. So. But he got something, and, and he was sick, and he lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. And just for history's sake, in case you're new to this story, you need to know Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were very close friends of Jesus. You need to know that as we get into this message. He stayed at their house often. They had a guest bedroom where Jesus had a nightstand. 
I mean, he was, not, he was not a stranger to them. He considered them, and they considered him friends. The Bible says, This is Mary, who later poured out the expensive perfume for the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair because her life had been radically changed by him. So there's a lot of family interaction. There's a lot of loving things going on, right? Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent an Instagram message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard it, he said, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. I want to read that part again because I need that to sink into you this morning. Lazarus is sick. Lazarus is about to die. Listen to what Jesus said. This is not what you want to hear when you pray. Listen to what happened. Her brother Lazarus was sick, so they sent a message to Jesus and said, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Stop right there. What we want him to do is we want him to speak a word and heal Lazarus. Come on, church. That's what we come to church for. We want to see those kind of miracles. And we know he's able. We profess it. We believe it. We have faith. And that's what we want the Bible to say. Jesus stopped what he was doing, got on his moped, hopped in his side-by-side, and went down to Bethany and healed Lazarus. But listen, instead of doing that, he said, when he heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness is will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, finally, what a word. I mean, he's God. We have seen Jesus heal when he didn't even have to leave town. He sent his word and healed a centurion's servant. He didn't even have to go to the site. He didn't even have to visit the hospital. He spoke a word and she was made better. So now the Bible says, finally, finally, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, let's go back to Judea. Here's where I'm going to preach from this morning. This is my 15-minute introduction. <laughs> Some of y'all didn't get that joke. Oh, it's because y'all don't think it's a joke. <laughs> He looks at his disciples, and his disciples objected and said, Rabbi, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you sure you want to go there again? Okay, so the reason I bring this up is because you see from that, from that scripture that something political has been going on in the town. There is an issue. The people in this town did not receive Jesus very kindly the last time he was there. They wanted to kill him. Most of us would have avoided the area. Most of us would have used Scripture and said, oh, we'll just shake the dust off. Come on, church. Every time somebody don't, does something that we don't like, don't we like that Scripture? Oh, we'll just shake the dust off. Don't cast your pearls before. Come on. Yeah, you know that verse. We, that's how we, when, whenever somebody don't agree with us, we like to just write them off. We like to just discount them. We like to just, I, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds because this is going to be my next sermon series. But we want to devalue people that God has put great value on. 
That's what we like to do in the church. Well, every time things don't go our way or people, or people don't exactly agree with us, we like to just dismiss them. But Jesus, Jesus said, we're going down there. They said, are you sure about that? Because the last time we went there, and let's be perfectly honest, we know a little bit about these disciples. Was they really worried Jesus was going to die? Or did they know Jesus was making them go? And they figure if they want to kill him, there's a good chance they're probably going to catch us too. So this was a little more than going on here than just being concerned with Jesus. There was self-preservation in this. Are you really sure you want to go down there? Because they don't like us very much. So the Bible says they go to Bethany. And when they get there, he is told that Lazarus has already died. And he's been in the grave for four days. Now in this day, I told you this a few weeks ago when we preached about the widow of Nain. In those days, the whole town would show up for a funeral. Even if you didn't know the people, you would show up and mourn. You would support the family during a crisis situation. So the whole town is gathered by this tomb and Jesus shows up. Her friends are there, her family's there, Mary and Martha are there. A lot of town folks just standing around. Jesus shows up and says, roll the stone away. And all of a sudden, Martha said, hey, hey, Jesus, uh, I don't know if you are familiar with decomposition, uh, but the body has been laid dead for four days. Your King James Bible says it best. Surely he stinketh by now. And Jesus, instead of saying, yeah, you're probably right. We ought to just leave that rock right where it is. He said, didn't I tell you that you were going to see the glory of God? And without getting too deep into that, I need you to understand that you will never see the glory of God by staying safe. You will never see the glory of God by doing things exactly the way things make sense. Sometimes you have to take the biggest chances that absolutely have nothing to do with what you want to do or how you think things should be done in order to see the glory of God. The glory of God is hidden behind rocks. The glory of God is hidden on the other side of the Red Sea. The glory of God is hidden with a ram in a bush. The glory of God is never hidden where you feel comfortable and safe. No, no, no. you got to ride out a storm to see the glory of God. You've got you to gotta go into a lion's den. You've got to pass through a fire that was seven times hotter than it's ever been. That's where you find the glory of God. You never find the glory of God by playing it safe. You have to take a chance. Not a chance you invent, but a chance that he commands. He said, roll the stone away. Doesn't make any sense to do that. Uh-huh, but Jesus looks up to heaven, and here's where I'm going to preach from. He looks up to heaven, and he says the same kind of phrase over and over again. He says, God, thank you that you always hear me. And I like that. But what, what made me laugh about this was, he says over and over again, and I'm saying this loud enough for the ones in the back. I'm praying, God, and I hope everybody's listening because I know you hear me, but I've been preaching to these knuckleheads for three and a half years, 
and they've not understood it yet. So I'm going to say it a little louder for the ones in the back. You did this so you would be glorified. I'm thankful that you hear me, but I hope all these witnesses that are here at this tomb will hear me too because I didn't come here to do what I can do. I came here to let all them see what God alone can do, and I hope they're listening. <laughs> it's amazing to me how Jesus, before it's like he is talking to God about all the people right in front of all the people. You, do you ever talk to God about other people? Like, like, do you go to God and say, God, I love you, but these kids of yours are plucking my last ever love. Oh, it's just me. That's just me that does that. Like, I love you, God, but these kids of yours, <laughs> if you could do something about my oldest, if you could do something about my wife, if you could do something about my has anybody ever talked to God about other people? Well, you don't very often do that right to their face. But here's Jesus talking to the Lord about them in front of them. And he stresses, I hope they hear me. Because you are about to do something that they don't expect you to do. And this entire story has a lot to do with the core beliefs that people have in their lives, which is how we function every day. Listen, if you're seeing miracles every day, they stop being miracles. The very definition of a miracle is a suspension of a natural law, and that, if that happens all the time, they're, they're no longer miracles. They're called normal. So the very fact that you don't see a miracle all the time doesn't mean that God's not doing something. And this, is a, and this entire story has to do with the core beliefs that Christians should carry with them. This is how I function every day. I don't function every day waking up and expecting to see the Red Sea move. I don't wake up every day expecting to see the waters troubled and one person get in and, and, and a crippled man jump to life. I don't. I don't get up every day and expect cancer to be healed. I don't wake up every day and expect miracles to happen. But what I do expect is that God's the one that woke me up and God's the one that'll tuck me in at night. And even if he don't do it, it's because he had a better plan and you hear me. My core belief walking out of this building today is going to be this. No matter what I'm facing, it might be COVID, it might be cancer, it might be a rebellious child, it might be a divorce, it might be a house foreclosure, but Jesus is going to show up and everything is going to get better. I wish you had Somebody in this church, God, that believed like I do, that when Jesus shows up, everything gets better. Uh -huh. It gives me hope. See, if I got to wake up every morning and expect a miracle, that's hard to hope for. They're so few and far between. So it is difficult for me to wake up every day and say, well, if I don't see a miracle today, I'm going to give up on God. So I have to find something else to put hope in. So every day I'm hopeful that the world, even though it's a hard place to live, Jesus is going to show up and make stuff better. I'm hopeful that when the world's economy is in trouble, that my, my father owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and that all the silver and gold are mine, saith the Lord. 
Listen, when this, when I'm hopeful when this political turmoil is flipping everybody upside down and turning fathers against sons and daughters against mothers, listen, I am hopeful that I know one true king that is neither elected nor will he ever lose his position. He is steadfast, unmovable, and unshakable. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful when I wrestle with depression that he is the joy that becomes my strength. Are you hearing me? I'm hopeful that when I face a loss, I've never lost him. I may lose relationships here on this earth. I may lose financial backing. I may lose my house. I may lose my mind. But one thing I've never lost has been my king and my savior. So I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. Do you actually believe? Do you actually believe? I mean, when you walk into church on Sunday, do you show up out of routine and a systematic way of doing things, or do you really believe that Jesus can make things better in your life? Now, that doesn't mean that he's going to fix everything. See, I walk around believing Jesus all the time, even though I know he won't fix everything. Oh, see, some of us have never thought about this this way because some of us never realized that he doesn't fix all of our circumstances. Oh, you don't believe me? How many folks do you think was buried that day, that week, that month, that year, and Jesus only raised one of them from the dead? How is that fair? Oh, oh, some of y'all not going to believe me? I've been in church too long. I've seen church members get their nose out of joint because pastor went fishing with one person. Can you imagine Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead and the next person whose daddy died, whose husband died, whose, whose baby boo died, and they went to Jesus and he didn't raise them from the dead? Well, that ain't fair. And that's what we do. That's how we treat the Lord because we don't realize That he is in every situation, but he doesn't fix every situation. He didn't bring everybody back from the grave. Now, I used to preach this because it's a good tagline. I'm from the South. And the South preachers like taglines. It gets the saints happy. And I heard it when I was a young Christian, and I used to preach it too. That Jesus is so powerful that when he called Lazarus out of the tomb, he called him by name. Because had he just said, come forth, everybody on the hillside would have came up out of the grave. And the older and more mature I've got, I've realized, that probably ain't right. I'll stand in front of you and God and everybody else and say, that's probably wrong. And here's why. Number one, that may not have been the only Lazarus in that tomb. How come there wasn't three or four Lazaruses come up out of that grave that day? Which got me to thinking, if Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, he didn't say, Lazarus, the third one from the left, with the blue eyes and the blonde hair. He didn't say that. He said, Lazarus, come forth. How come every Lazarus in Jerusalem, Bethany, Judea, didn't come forth? Because Jesus didn't call them. See, the older I've become and the longer I've worked with and walked with Jesus, here's what I've realized. 
He blesses who He wants to bless. He calls who He wants to call. He's good to who He wants to be good to. And just because your neighbor gets hit with a blessing doesn't mean that God's got bad aim or that you have gotten snookered. He blesses who He wants to bless. They might get a new car at the same time you are losing yours. It doesn't mean God is any less good just because you're going through something that you are watching them. Hey, y'all ain't going to help me. When you have a child out on drugs and somebody else's kid is getting saved and called into ministry, you look up to heaven and say, that ain't fair. I've been serving you longer. I have been a faithful tither. I have came to church longer than they have. And you say, that ain't fair. But you don't realize what fair is because you are judging it from what you see and from what you desire. But you don't realize there is a plan operating in life. And even though he may not be calling your kid right now, he is going to show up. And when he shows up, everything's going to get better. He said, Lazarus, come forth. He called who he wanted to come. Everybody didn't get raised from the dead. Lots of people died later. Everybody we pray for don't get better. There's a lot of folks that have gotten sick and we prayed for and they got healed. And are still with us. And there's been even more that I've prayed for. And they haven't gotten better. And many of them have passed away. But that does not mean God has lost his power. What it means is he had a plan. Because you're never ready for mama to go. She'd be 2,742 years old this year. If everybody people prayed for never died, this world would be really overpopulated because we'd have a lot of 3,000-year-old people walking around. Listen, I'm 47 years old. I can't imagine how bad your joints must hurt at 2,000. I mean, how are these people going to get out of bed? Y'all keep praying for them that they don't go home. They're probably laying in bed going, whoever's praying, quit. I'm tired. My knees don't work. My hips ache. My chest is hurt. Would somebody quit praying and let me go? The older I've gotten, the more I've realized that I don't know as much as I think I do. And he knows more than I ever thought he did. One of the core beliefs that gets me through my hardest days is that when I'm struggling, Jesus will show up and change Everything. Listen, this stops me from being intimidated by what's going on. The political climate, the natural climate, the economic climate. Whatever is going on, I don't have to be intimidated by it because he's going to show up and make everything better. I don't have to have all the answers. People have been coming to me for the past few years. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? I don't think about it. What I do think about is look under the hills from which cometh my help because my help comes from the Lord because he's got the answers. I don't. Lord, I don't even know how to raise my own children. I know I can't raise the rest of God's kids. I don't have a, I don't have a chance to figure out what's going on in Washington or on the streets of any other town in this world. But I know one who does, and I put my faith and my hope in him. Because Jesus proves when he shows up, he changes everything. Now, the reason I brought this scripture and this story up is, is for this. And I'm, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna end with this with this vein of thought. It is this miracle, the raising of Lazarus, that everything begins to change in Jesus' ministry. This is the miracle that got him arrested. This is the miracle that got him put on trial. And ultimately, this is the miracle that got Jesus crucified. He'd done a lot of miracles. He had performed miracles from Judea all the way up to Caesarea Philippi. He, he was well known for a miracle worker. But see, this one was different. Let me help you. When Jesus fed the multitudes, they were out in the wilderness, even though there were 5,000 men and probably 10,000 children and women. There was a lot of people. But they weren't in town. They weren't near the temple. By the time the story got out of the woods and into the city, the Pharisees could very easily say, oh, that's just a bunch of lies. Oh, that didn't really happen that way. When he raised the widow of Nain's son back to life, that's just a little village. That's just a little colliers. By the time that story got back to Jerusalem, it was very easy for the, for the Pharisees at the temple to say, oh, that's just a bunch of hyperbole. They're lying. But this one, they couldn't deny this one. Jesus shows up in Bethany and the whole town is there. And not only was the whole town there, he'd been dead four days. Why is that significant? Because in the Jewish, in the Jewish mindset, in the Jewish teachings, they believed that the spirit of a body hung around that body for three days. And any point from day one to day three, the spirit could come back into that body and everything would be okay. And they didn't consider that a miracle. So the fact that the whole town was there on day four, when all hope was lost, meant that nobody was leaving that town believing Jesus wasn't exactly who Jesus said he was. And when they walked down through the city streets, they said, we just saw God move. The Pharisees down at the temple said, that's it. We've had it. This dude has got to go. Do you know why? Because up until this point, the Jews believed that the priest was the only way to get to God. Jesus shows up at a, at a tomb in Bethany and says, you don't need me or them to get to God. You need to say, God, I know you hear me when I pray. And I'm going to say it louder for the ones in the back because I want them to witness that when I ask you a thing, you are going to do what I ask you to do. So they have now realized that the priests at the temple are irrelevant. And now the priests are about to be on the unemployment line if this Jesus guy doesn't shut his mouth. So Lazarus being risen from the dead started a movement down at the temple. And that movement was crucifixion. He had purposely allowed Lazarus to get sicker and sicker until he eventually died. I'm, I got I to gotta let that sink into you. He purposely let Lazarus suffer. And my whole amen committee just resigned on that one point. Because this is not the God we want to talk about. 
This is not the facet of God that you are excited about. I don't get one amen in this whole place because he purposely allowed Lazarus to get sicker until he died because he needed Lazarus to die. Mary and Martha sent messages to Jesus. That sounds a lot like prayer. And instead of getting their prayer answered, the exact opposite thing happened. And get this, it was God's plan all along. Lazarus and him dying was God's plan because this was his opportunity to expose his power in their life. So when you are in a crisis, I'm about to quit. When you find yourself in a crisis, maybe you should stop looking at it as the end of the world and realize this might be the opportunity Jesus has been waiting on to show his power in my life. I would to God that every time I went into a crisis, I had this kind of faith, but I always haven't. But I wish to God now, looking back, that I would have because I would have handled crisis situations much differently if I would have known, hey, I've been asking you to do this. Why haven't you done this? I know you've got the power. I know this is your plan. Your word says that I can have it. Why ain't I? I did not realize at the time that it was an opportunity for him to show off his power. Him healing me on day two doesn't show what he can do on day four. This is an opportunity for him to display his power. And hear this. The Bible says he is a present help. And nowhere in your Bible do you find it saying he is a present help in time of plenty. Nowhere in your Bible does it say he is a present help in times of prosperity. It says he is a present help in times of need. That means that if you avoid the trouble, you also avoid the help. If you avoid all the hell that you have been going through, you've also avoided the help that showed up in the middle. See, if you avoid the flames, I know it's hotter than it's ever been. I know you don't want to be there. I realize it's uncomfortable and there's times you think you're going to die. But if you don't get put into that furnace, you never see that fourth man walking around in the flames telling you everything's going to be all. He only showed up in the time of need. They prayed for three days for Jesus to come and he didn't show up. And he did not show up until everything else gave in. Helpless. Destitute. Dare I say, broken. He showed up when they were at their most broken and vulnerable position. And he showed up and said... Now I can display my power. Everybody shows up for the funeral. That's what he wanted. Everybody don't show up when you got a cough. Everybody shows up at the cemetery. That's what he wanted. If he'd have showed up when Lazarus was just coughing, when Lazarus was running a fever, when Lazarus couldn't get out the bed, he'd have been able to display his power in front of a few folks. But he just did it in front of the whole town. Because he let Lazarus die. And when everybody came out to see Lazarus off, 
what they really saw was God show up. Because when everything falls apart, I believe Jesus is going to show up and make everything better. Keep reading John chapter 11. Begin with verse 45. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. (laughs) Oh, now everybody's getting saved. But some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. When the leading priests and Pharisees called the high council together, what are we going to do? They asked each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. Then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. Caiaphas, who was high priest at the time, said, You don't know what you're talking about. You don't realize that it's better for you that one man should die for the people than for the whole nation to be destroyed. Pay attention to this scene. You'll realize that there are always critics in every group. And in this group, when the world wanted to keep the preacher alive, it was the church crucifying him. So the high priest calls a council meeting and says, we better do something about him before he brings us all down. It's important you understand that these were the words of the high priest. Caiaphas is a high priest. It was him that just put the death sentence. He, He just put a hit out on Jesus. We give Judas all the credit. For what happened to Jesus. We, we always say it was Judas that caused Jesus uh, to, to, be, to, to be killed. But the hit was put out by Caiaphas, the high priest. Can I tell you sometimes we spend too much time worried about our enemies? And we really shouldn't. Because they can't do anything to us that God don't allow anyway. We spend so much of our time struggling against what is against us and not enough time emphasizing what is for us. And we know that Jesus was not the only one crucified on that hill. He wasn't even the only one crucified that day. So why do we memorialize this one crucifixion? I'm glad you asked. Caiaphas was a high priest. Caiaphas was the one who put the death sentence on Jesus. In the Jewish law, a sacrifice could not be made by a Roman. A sacrifice could not be made by anybody other than a Jewish priest. So while there were three crosses on Calvary that day, Jesus hanging between two thieves, the Roman Empire put to death the two thieves. The Jewish temple, the church, put to death the man in the middle. Why is that important? Because the two men on the sides were executed. The man in the middle was sacrificed. You have to understand where I'm coming from this morning. If Lazarus don't get sick, Lazarus don't die. If Lazarus doesn't die, there won't be a crowd of witnesses. If there hasn't been a crowd of witnesses, Jesus can't raise him from the dead. If he don't raise him from the dead, the Jews don't start following Jesus. If he doesn't start getting followers from Jerusalem, the townsfolks don't make the temple jealous. And when the jealousy wouldn't have raised up in the heart of Caiaphas and there wouldn't have been a meeting, 
and there wouldn't have been a crucifixion and there would be no sacrifice. I'm standing in front of you this morning thankful that Lazarus died because Lazarus' death set in motion a sacrifice that has washed away the sins of every person that has ever lived. He paid the penalty that day on the cross. He was the living sacrifice that paid for your death and your dying. Thank God Lazarus died. Which means this, and this is going to be my final point. God will allow certain things to happen in your lives that you don't understand at the time. Because the purpose is yet to come. And I don't mean good things. I don't mean pleasant things. I mean God will perpetrate things in your life that are negative. Things that make you weep. Stuff that keeps you awake at night. Things that make you go, hmm. God will make things happen in your life that makes your world feel like it is falling apart. Because God is not looking at the moment. He is a strategist and he is working all things together for good. That's why I tell folks all the time, go down to the Hallmark store and pick you out a card for all the people that hurt you and all the folks that abandon you. Find a special card for all the haters that told you that you'd never make it. Tell, find you a card for all the folks that said, oh, I guess you got religion now. And go ahead and send that thing off to them and say, you know what? Had you not put me against the wall, I wouldn't have learned how to fight so well. If you hadn't have told me I couldn't, I wouldn't have worked so hard to prove you wrong. I'm glad glad you didn't help me because if you would have helped me I would have never realized how much my God could do if you hadn't have shut me to shut me out I wouldn't realize God's the one who opens doors and lets me walk through the situations that I have survived have been because God put me in places I couldn't survive without him Jesus is on trial. Crucifixion's right around the corner, and John 18, 24 says this. Remember, he's a sacrifice. And the Bible says in John 18, 24, they bound Jesus and sent him to the high priest. Go back and read your Old Testament, and you'll find out that when they brought a lamb to the front of the building to get sacrificed, they had to be tied up. Which tells me this. God don't even waste your bondage. Some of you are sitting here this morning. Angry. At what you have had to fight through to get where you are. You've survived it but you are damaged by it. You have survived it but you're hurt by it. Dare I say you are angry why did I have to go through this? And what you compare yourself to is the person sitting beside you or what you perceive is the person up on the stage in front of you. And you begin to say, God, why have I been bound? Why have I been damaged? Why have I been hurt? And what I want you to know is that even your bondages have a purpose. Even the things that you have been hurt by has got you to the place of sacrifice. You have been damaged and you cannot make up for what you have already been through 
But you can find the value in the hurt. I don't know why mama died. But Jesus will show up and make everything better. I don't know why I lost my job and everybody else kept theirs and I was a good worker. But Jesus is going to show up. And listen, he may not come walking on the water and he may not raise Lazarus from the tomb. But I believe in my spirit that even if he doesn't perform one of those miracles, he's going to show up and he's going to make everything all right. Hell has been defeated. Death has lost its sting because he was the sacrifice that bought my salvation. I am his and he is mine and there is no devil in hell that can separate me from the love of my father because Jesus before the foundations of the earth loved me enough to sacrifice himself for me and he's still doing it today. He's still willing to take your pain. He's still willing to make everything okay. Listen, COVID has, it's hit a lot of folks. The, the problem with social media is this. And I've taken a break from it. I haven't been on it. I only get on it to teach on Wednesdays. I, I started 2020. I said, I'm, 2021, I said, I'm going to detox. And I probably should have detoxed from like cookies and stuff. But I think that maybe cookies are doing less damage to me than the social media was. So I detoxing from that. I ain't saying I ain't never coming back, but I am enjoying the bless God. I got some of my cup in the mouth. It's been so long, I got shocked a little bit. I've been taking a break from it. I'll go back to it, I guess, eventually. But I've just been taking a break from it. I just. I just I haven't been checking messages. I haven't been reading people's timelines, and I just I I, I just needed to to get a mental and emotional break from the chaos. And here's what I'm finding out: social media gave everybody a platform that we didn't used to have. When I was in school, and you liked the little girl at the next desk, you wrote a little letter. And you folded it up like a football. And you kicked it over to her. And she'd read it at recess. Do you like me? And there'd be a box with a no and a box with a yes. If you were smart like me, you never put that no box on there. Just one, just one option. You just got, you just got, if it's no, I just never hear from you again. Okay, we just, we just move on to the next little girl with the pigtails in the back of the room. We just, we don't want to hear, we don't want to hear that negativity. I don't need it in my life. I remember when you wanted to talk to somebody. I'm old enough to remember before the days of answering machines. Do you remember? When's the last time you heard a busy signal? I mean, do you remember trying to get a hold of somebody for like an hour? And you're like, who in the world are they talking to? When's the last time you called somewhere and didn't get, it just rang? Like, do you remember that? Do you remember like calling people and you had to wonder? There's no... There's no wonder in the world anymore. We send a text message out, and if somebody don't get back to us in 27 seconds, we're calling the police. Surely they're in a ditch. They haven't answered me. It's been 27 seconds. 
We used to call people for hours and they didn't have answer machines and it would just ring and ring and ring and you didn't know where they were. And sometimes you'd leave a message and it would be the next day. The next day? Before they called me back? My God, how did we survive? In this age, and now everybody has a voice. And most of us tend to think we're more important and more educated and smarter and better and wiser than we really are. So we put our voice out there into the ethos for all to hear. Hear ye, hear ye. I have a proclamation. I have figured out the national debt. This pandemic. Voter fraud. Why cows eat grass? I got all the answers. Hear ye, hear ye. Gather around and I'll share my wisdom. And unfortunately, those kind of things end up rubbing somebody the wrong way. And here's what the devil has done. He's used those as dividing tactics instead of bringing us unification. points of contention instead of areas of unity. What I'm beginning to realize by separating myself from that is the answer has always been Jesus. The answer will always be Jesus. You say, Pastor, I didn't tell you what the question was. That's my point exactly. It just don't matter what the question is. The answer will always be Jesus. I used to argue with folks that didn't want to pay tithes. I used to argue with people about whether it was pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib. Or, 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 I used to argue with them people because I had strong beliefs. But I have learned as I've gotten older that and more bald that Jesus is the answer. Listen, you can believe whatever you want to believe. You can believe Jesus is coming back in a green mushroom flying. I don't care if that's what you want to believe if that's what gets you to bed at night I, your theology is wrong and I'm not going to let you teach in my pulpit but if that's what it takes for you all I care about is that are you serving him do you believe he's going to show up and make things better I, I tell people all the time, oh, are you one of those pre-tribbers what difference does it make Regardless of whether you're pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib, we all believe He's showing up and making everything okay. Whether you believe He's going to heal us now or heal us in heaven, He's going to show up and make everything okay. Whether you believe that Jesus is going to bring you back together or He's going to divorce, let you get a divorce, let you get a... If that's what you've chosen and He's going to let it happen, why? Because He'll show up later and make everything better. Y'all don't want to hear that. He let Lazarus die because his glory was going to be revealed in raising him from the dead. I've seen relationships die so he could show up and reveal his glory. I've seen people lose jobs. I've seen people lose ministries. And later, Jesus show up and make everything better. Do you believe? Do, do you Do you believe? If I, had a, if, I had a, if I had somebody standing at these doors this morning and did not let you out of this room until you checked yes or no, do you, do you believe he's going to show up and make everything better? I'm hurting, Pastor, but do you believe he's going to show up and make everything better? Pastor, they are, hurt, they are killing me. 
But do you believe Jesus is going to show up and make everything? Pastor, I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills. But do you believe he's going to show up and make everything better? If you do believe that, would you join me by standing to your feet right now? And if you're physically able, would you just cast your hands up toward heaven right now and say, Jesus, I'm hurting, but I believe you're going to make things better. My family is being under attack right now, but I believe, I believe, I believe the miracle I need is to see you show up and make everything better.